Am I on, gentlemen? Okay. Our, our Advent theme is joy. Joy at Christmas. So what is the difference between happiness and joy? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Those who read the pastoral email this week already know the answer. Well, happiness is often short-term, and it's dependent on outward circumstances. So that new toy shines on Christmas morning, but over time, it can become broken and forgotten. I remember when I was a kid, maybe in fourth or fifth grade, I thought that if I could just get a microscope for Christmas, that would bring happiness, right? Lasting happiness. I was a bit of a nerd, maybe you could say. Um, but I just thought it would be so amazing to look at, at things under that microscope. And I remember looking through the Sears catalog at different microscopes months in advance. And then, lo and behold, underneath the Christmas tree, uh, there was a box that I thought might actually have a microscope in it. And it did. And so for the first couple of days, I mean, I was looking at leaves and grass and dead bugs and anything I could find underneath that microscope and finding happiness. But what do you think happened after a couple of weeks? Well, a microscope found its way onto the shelf. Uh, and then until I was out on the, on the road in our San Antonio home where we lived in our neighborhood, all the, all the driveways were slanted up, were high, and ran down into the street. So it was very conducive to a, a game that we invented where one kid would ride his bike down the street and everyone else would try to line up skateboards on top of their driveways and would slide them down. And the goal was to try to catch right between the front and back wheel and, and send the guy over his handlebars. And so if you could do, by the way, this probably isn't a great idea, kids. Um, but if you could do that, uh, then it was your turn to ride the bike, right? And back then, skateboards were a little smaller. And uh, so you, you'd be, it was kind of fun right, riding the bike because you're weaving in and out. you got all these skateboards coming across the street. And, and so I remember I'm, you know, I'm, I'm accelerating, and that skateboard just happens to hit right in front of my back tire, and it just sends me flying over the front handlebars. And I just did this you know, great like, face plant on the road, um, blood. And just as I was about to run home to my mom crying, suddenly it hit me. I got a microscope at home. I haven't looked at blood yet. So instead of crying, I ran right up into my room, dripping blood everywhere, grabbed out, pulled the thing out, some slides, and had a, a, a brief moment of, of happiness there in the room looking at, looking at blood. I thought it was pretty cool. But you know what? After a couple months, that microscope lost its luster. In fact, it sits, actually it sat in my parents' attic for several decades until my mom called me up and reminded me that now I live in Niceville and it'd be a good time to come clear out her attic that I have a home. Um, and so now it's on a shelf somewhere in my residence not having been looked at for probably at least three decades. Well, joy isn't short-term only. Joy is long-term and it's not dependent on your outside circumstances. So unlike those Christmas presents that lose their luster over time, a relationship with Jesus deepens even through suffering, and it grows throughout a lifetime, and it continues into eternity. So we're after, we're after joy here. But before we get started in our text this morning, I just want to make a, a point, and that is 
how much better a Christ-filled Christmas than the secular, materialistic Christmas that most of our culture will experience. A secular Christmas, if you think about it, it does bring some happiness. I mean, there's some warm fuzzies, right, with, with family and Christmas lights and traditions and a good meal and, and the joy even of giving gifts to our kids. So, so there's, some, there's some happiness, but it's usually followed by letdown. But a Christ-filled Christmas gives us reason to rejoice. So on Sunday afternoon, after all the presents have been opened and after the, the ham or the turkey has been consumed, there's, there's no letdown if Christ is filling your heart because you're meditating on what it's all about. You know, the miracle of the incarnation. That, that God wouldn't just leave us alone in our sins, but he would send his only begotten son to be born in a manger and to to come with a purpose of giving himself on the cross while we are still his enemies, as Pastor Joshua read for us this morning, to die for us so that we might have an eternity of joy with him. The sad thing is many Christians this year will slide into a mostly secular materialistic Christmas. So don't, don't let that happen to you. You know, purpose right now that despite the busyness and the lists and the parties and all that stuff you got to do, that you will not forsake to make Christ numero uno in your heart this Christmas. Well, there's, you know, a lot of joy in the Christmas story. Think of the wise men rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, Matthew tells us in chapter 2, verse 10, when they saw that star reappear that they had been following all the way to Jerusalem, and they saw it reappearing over Bethlehem. They rejoiced. The angelic hosts rejoiced in song when they announced Christ's birth to the humble shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And John the Baptist leapt for joy in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth, because the Holy Spirit was in him even when he was still a preborn prophet. So I've, I've got to take a little tangent here for just a moment um, a little rabbit trail but we're going to loop back around in just a second um, clearly we see in this Christmas story of not only Jesus but John a clear human being while he was still in the womb of his mother right I mean filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in the womb of his mother so let me just encourage you brothers and sisters um, we need to keep working to stand up for life in our culture today. Um, we, we've shared with you over this last month about this, that these petitions that we're trying to gather to actually put an amendment in the Florida Constitution that states that all human beings have a right to life. So if you haven't yet filled that out, they're there. And, and let me encourage you if, you, if there's somebody, another Florida registered voter that you know, um, that, that could fill that out that hasn't yet, now's the time. We've got to get these in by the end of the year. So thus far, from my understanding, we've got somewhere between 900 and 950 that we've collected here at, at our church. Praise the Lord for that. But let's not stop, okay? Um, uh, let, let's, let's, let's keep going as hard and as long as we can. And man, if there are other people in other parts of our state, other churches that you know, um, advocate for this. Well, we see clearly that John the Baptist was human while he was still an embryo 
And he actually had the Holy Spirit. He was responding with joy even inside the womb of his mother. And, and we also see, even more importantly than the fact that he was human, what brings that joy is God's presence. The, the pre-born Messiah had just walked into the room. Another pre-born human being. The God baby being knitted together by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And so we read in Luke 1, 44, that, that Elizabeth said, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So it's amazing, right? This, this preborn baby experienced the emotion and the reality of joy. Well, well joy brings internal happiness and peace. As, as Christians, that means we can be joyful even in hard times based on the internal knowledge that God is with us in our suffering and he's given us the sure promise that even our present suffering is a temporary situation because glory awaits. Well, our text that, that we've read this morning is all about Christian joy. Even in the hard times, glory awaits. So the Christian can be joyful, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And so that leads us to our first point this morning. That is that we rejoice, according to our text, in the hope of the glory of God. We, we see that in Romans 5, verse 2, the second part of verse 2. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So let's think about that word rejoice for a minute this morning. Daniel Webster defines rejoice as to feel joy or to even dispense it, like to, to give joy. But the, the Greek word for, that, that's translated here, joy, has another meaning. And, and there are some translations, like the Good News translation, actually translates it boast. I don't know if you've ever equivalented rejoice and boast. The point being, it, something that makes you so joyful, you've got to talk about it. And, and, and so we, according to Paul here, boast in hope of the glory of God. Pastor Kent Hughes explains. He says, catch the force of Paul's words. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The word rejoice means to boast in the sense of jubilation, exultant rejoicing, to shout about it. We used to fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. But now we boast in it. This sets us apart from the rest of the world. The Eastern religions offer no hope with their endless nightmare of reincarnations. Existentialists see the future as absurd. Evolutionists have no comfort. We Christians rejoice in hope of the glory of God. End quote. So what do we rejoice or what do we boast in? Well, it's, according to this text, the hope of the glory of God. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, right? The, the glory of God used to bring us dread. Before we knew God, before we were saved through faith in Jesus, if we ever thought about God or his glory... For, for an unconverted soul, that really brings dread because we fall short of his glory. And it condemns us. But in Christ, 
we boast in that glory. Instead of dreading it, we boast in God's glory because we actually partake of it through faith in Christ. So bear with me for a moment and think about this. In, in John's introduction to his gospel, he's talking, he's waxing eloquently about the incarnation. And in John 1.14, he writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Think about that. Seeing the glory of Christ. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, when did John see the glory of Christ? Well, clearly, he was one of those present at the, at the, trans, at the transfiguration. I mean, he saw the, the unveiling of Christ's deity for that moment and saw his glory radiating. But he also, he also saw his glory every day as he, as he slogged through life with him, as he showed him the Father through his life. Well, the truth is, brothers and sisters, that we too, one day, will see his glory. And we're not only going to see his glory, but we're going to share in Christ's glory for eternity while we're in heaven. Now, if that's not a motivation for joy... The fact that we are actually going to partake in Christ's glory as part of our future. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what else is a motivation for joy. The New Living Translation translates Romans 5.2 this way. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's our destiny as Christians. Now God's, God's grace is personal. It's not just, we, we can sometimes maybe get lost in the group thinking, well, yeah, he, you know, he died for the sins of mankind. But he, he died for your sin. And he died for my sin. Jesus was incarnated. He, he became flesh to redeem all nations, right? People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But he, he also did it for you personally and for me Personally, so God's grace is personal. The shepherds, who were the most lowly class of people in first century Palestine, they beheld the glory of the angelic host in Luke 2. And here's what the angel said to the shepherds in Luke 2, 10 through 11. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, right, for everybody, for unto you. That's personal now. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the shepherds rejoiced that God would care for humble, insignificant people like themselves. But well, all the more, we should rejoice that God cares for sinners like us, and he has promised us the opportunity to see his glory and to, and to share in his glory for eternity. That's what it means to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. To look forward to that day that we will truly partake of his glory in our eternity future. But we also, according to this text, and this is our second point, we rejoice not only in, our, in our, what we look forward to for the future, but we rejoice in our present tribulations. Verses 3 through 5. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, I hear you right. Are you kidding me? We're really supposed to rejoice in tribulation? 
let's get past the, the fancy sounding word there and stop and think about maybe that thing that you wake up in the middle of the night worrying about. Okay? Um, maybe the, the thing that, that makes you the most uncomfortable or the most sad, I'm supposed to really rejoice in that? Well, before we look at a little bit deeper at verses 3 through 5, consider these passages of Scripture. Okay? Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah tells the repentant exiles of Israel who had, who had recently returned to their destroyed land. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Written by Paul. Wait a minute, in prison. Paul the prisoner. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. This is Peter writing to persecuted Christians. He says, we prayed for persecuted Christians this morning. This is Peter's message to people who are being truly persecuted for their faith. Okay, here's what he says. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Boy, that's, we need to hear that. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So people who are being actively persecuted are called by scripture to rejoice. So Paul says that we today are to rejoice in our tribulations. Let's look at verses 3 through 5 of Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance is certainly an underrated characteristic of Christianity. The faith that saves is a faith that endures. You want to be sure, brothers and sisters, that you are truly a Christian? That your, your faith is real? Well, persevere. Right? Keep going. Take the word quit out of your vocabulary. Matthew 24, 13 records Jesus saying, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So suffering produces endurance. The Greek word for endurance here means to abide or remain under pressure. Paul says endurance brings about character. Think integrity here. Um, wholeness. Um, that word comes from the word integer. Think integrity, character. The idea here is of a metal being refined and forged through adversity. Kind of like what, what Peter wrote about. Like gold and dross being melted away through suffering. Now think back to the grand days of sea travel. 
okay, across the ocean, back before we had flights. Folks who were going to go from Europe to North America would, would board a ship. And the captain of the ship characteristically had a gray beard, right? That's kind of what you think of as the old sea captain because he had been through a storm or two or a hundred. He was a man of character, someone who had actually endured hardship and had learned to have a steady hand in rough seas. Well, right now, Pam and Ken Bristol are on their way to Indonesia to see their kids. Okay, on their way. They, they, they left at, I think, 6 o'clock this morning, and I got a text from them a couple hours ago in, in, in Atlanta. Um, and so they should be on, I think, now or very soon, a, a long trans-Pacific flight crossing, crossing a big ocean. Okay, so imagine that you're sitting on that plane next to them. Maybe you've been on some trans-Pacific flights yourself. Um, who would you want to be the pilot of that airplane, right? Would you want a, a very confident rookie pilot like myself? Hey, I got 100 hours. Not even that. I got 90 hours. We're good to go, guys. Or would you want a pilot who had been around and been tested and had, had suffered adversity and had character that you could trust? Well, Paul knew a thing or two about hardship and storms. And what he's saying here is when you are going through a storm, look up and rejoice because God will use it to make you stronger, to forge your character so that you may be a better tool in his service, in the service of his kingdom, in the service of others. And you don't get that without storms. I remember when we moved from Afghanistan to London, I thought life was going to get a lot easier, and it did in some ways. But the Lord decided that it would be a good idea for me that I needed uh, to face a physical storm I had not faced before, and that was to, to go through about a year and a half with severe back pain. And it was actually one of the lowest points of my life. I remember uh, for a period of several weeks being really stuck on my back. I remember laying on the back, on my back, on the floor, uh, having just had to cancel a trip back to Afghanistan where I thought I had a really important mission um, and I felt like I was failing people because I wasn't going back. And I remember just despairing of life, thinking, is this how it's going to be for the rest of my life? Just severe back pain, kind of an invalid. What good am I to God's kingdom? I mean, the pain was a bummer, but worse than that was feeling useless. And, and, and yet God used that to humble me, to, to make me more dependent on him. I remember crying out to him, finally, it took me a little while, and, and kind of getting over a pity party and just asking him to somehow use me anyway. And within 30 minutes, uh, a, a Persian, an Iranian couple showed up at the house. And then about an hour later, an Afghan couple that were, they were, they were the Iranians were actually Christians, the, the Afghan couple, they were Muslims that I'd been sharing with. And, and something about me being on my back and being in kind of the lower position, as it were, in some pain, meant that they were far more open and were asking questions. And here I had an opportunity to minister to them from a position of weakness. And you know, going through that period of time made me a much better pastor today. Because when I hear about those of you who are suffering in, in pain, like dealing with chronic pain, and there's a number of you who do, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm much, I think, more apt than I would have been without that, without that suffering to pray for you. Because I can empathize to some degree, not with everything you're going through, but it helps me pray for you when you're hurting, 
and when you're struggling. God's way, suffering is never wasted for the Christian. And the the Bible is is full of stories of people who are growing through suffering. Look at Joseph in prison. God was preparing him to rescue, to to save his people. Moses living in, in trouble with Pharaoh, having to flee to the wilderness. Well, God used that suffering of Moses to turn him into a leader. Or David, hiding out in the caves, being pursued, being hunted by Saul. Well, during that time, God was crafting David into a songwriter through his experiences that would inspire hundreds of generations. One writer put it this way, blessings are poured out in bitter cups. God uses suffering not only to refine us, but more importantly, to give us more of himself. Look at verse 5. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The, the, the King James Version and the New American Standard Version and, and several others actually translates that, that those words put us to shame by saying hope does not disappoint. That's another way of, of interpreting the, the Greek here. Hope does not disappoint. You see, a lot of the things that we put our hope in, that we look to, that we kind of put the hooks of our heart into for hope, do disappoint because they're temporal. Or, or they're, they're human, and so they're, they, they, they're finite, and they, and they fail. This Christmas season, kids, you're going to be tempted to put the hooks of your heart, right, to put your hope into Christmas presents, and, and it's okay to enjoy Christmas presents and, and to especially enjoy giving Christmas presents to others. But don't, don't put your hope for joy in those Christmas presents because they're not going to provide lasting happiness. Adults, you too, right? Um, when you grow up, sometimes toys just get bigger, right? Um, maybe it's a, a new car or a boat, or a vacation that you're looking forward to, right? These things too will disappoint because they are temporal. But if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, he will not disappoint. And we see here that in times of suffering, we we actually get more of God. It says here, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The idea here is that it's not only something that's happened once for all in the past, but God's love continues to be poured out into our hearts when we suffer and when we look to him in our suffering. Now, did you catch that? Some folks think that when they suffer, it's because God has abandoned them. Or maybe they've, they've done something wrong and God is displeased. And certainly, God does at times use adversity to discipline children he loves, but it's always with a heart of love to to bring us back into fellowship and into repentance. But God does not abandon his children in their suffering. In fact, God is ever-present, ready to be very near to your heart during your time of suffering. According to this text, to actually pour his spirit into your heart and to do that 
lavishly. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all our cares on him, for he cares for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and the word boast here is that same word used for rejoice in our text. He says, Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Brothers and sisters, our ultimate hope is eternal life. But one of the beautiful aspects of suffering right now is that we get to know God more deeply in times of suffering. Now kids, you need to prepare yourself for that. Okay, uh, in, in times of, of bliss, it is good to prepare your heart for times of suffering. And so kids, I want to challenge you to learn all you can about God right now. There, there's no greater subject in this life, on this earth, than God. So whether you're suffering right now or not, learn, be intentional about learning more about God. And so you're in a good place right now to do that. Uh, but if you, if you showed up this morning at 9 o'clock, you had, you had adults who love you, who spent time preparing to teach you more about God during your Sunday school classes. And for those of you who come on Wednesday nights to Awana, what a great place to memorize Scripture, to learn more about God. But I hope every one of you from a young age has a quiet time, a time in which you just read the Bible every day and get to know God more by reading His Word. I mean, the, the law of the Lord is perfect, con converting the soul, right? More to be desired than gold, the psalmist says. Well, read the Bible, but also I want to encourage you, all of you, brothers and sisters, look, go, as you go throughout your day, look at God's creation. The heavens declare His glory and, and worship God. We live in such a beautiful place. Go to the beach and just ponder God's eternity as you look out at the waves. Or take a, a walk through the forest and think about his love, his minute love for creation and for you. Or look at the stars at night in wonder of God's plan for your eternity. Or look at your child as you hold a little one. Or as you tuck your child to sleep. Or maybe even just peer on them after they sleep and think about God's wonderful hand of creation. Worship God through his creation but read biographies. That's another way that I found, and, and kids, I encourage you to start doing this while you're young, to learn about God by seeing how has he worked in other people's lives who suffered. Women and men of the faith who suffered but grew close to God. Read those stories. And you realize you're not alone in your suffering. Other people suffer too, and maybe have even suffered more. Men like Charles Spurgeon, who struggled with depression for years and yet relied on God's emotional sustenance and faithfully taught God's word to many. Or people like George Mueller who dealt with poverty and yet learned faith in God's provision for himself and for others. This guy lived by faith. He did not know where the next he never knew where his next paycheck was coming from or even often his next meal. Or, but he believed God for those things and for the meals of like thousands of street kids 
that, 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 that he fed. Or Joni Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed from the neck down and yet brought great joy to others. Or William Carey, who lost children and his wife and actually over a decade of his translation work through a fire on the mission field. And yet he learned perseverance in God through his suffering. In fact, he, he kind of viewed most of his career as a failure. We remember him as the father of modern missions. Elizabeth Elliot, who, who went through physical persecution. The, the very tribe that she and her, her husband and kids sought to reach murdered her husband with spears. And yet she learned faithfulness and forgiveness and God used her and some of the other widows to bring the gospel to the Alka people. Read about stories of people who've been faithful through suffering. But also I want to encourage you to read about heaven. Whether you're old or whether you're young. One of my favorite books on the topic is by Randy Alcorn and it's just called Heaven. All of you should read it. Um, maybe you're struggling with health issues and you're just thinking, man, the the prognosis I have is just a decline. But that's not true. That's just temporary. You've got to decline until that incredible day that you are now sharing Christ's glory in the new heavens and the new earth with a recreated body. That's your eternal destiny if you're in Christ. So the, the, the suffering that you're feeling is just for a little while, but it's sometimes easy for that, that, that idea just to become kind of a maybe a metaphysical idea, not really a tangible idea that's real to you so read books about heaven that help you imagine and help you think about the reality of your future and this is a biblical book but a very descriptive book and it's very good at engaging the imagination so I recommend it there's even a kid's version of the book so there's an idea for a Christmas present brothers and sisters persevere in hope through faith and praise even in times of suffering. And maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but the next time that you find yourself in that storm, just worship him. Just, just worship God. Well, when we experience God in suffering, and when we worship him, we rejoice in God himself. We experience more of him. And that's our last point this morning, point three, verse 11. We rejoice in God. Verse 11 of Romans 5 says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're going to take a deep dive into that concept of reconciliation next week as we, as we kind of finish out our Advent theme of, with peace. And we talk about this whole, this whole passage, talking about peace between mankind and God himself and then how that radiates to peace with one another all accomplished by Christ's work on the cross while we were still sinners while we were his enemies Christ died for us we're going to look at that next week but right now I want us to conclude our time thinking about what it means to rejoice in God to to know God to experience him such that we can't help but just worship him and I can't find a a better place in the New Testament or a better example than that of a young teenage girl named Mary in Luke 1 46 through 55 
Mary's Magnificat, this song that she sings. In Latin, it's called the Magnificat because that means magnifies. It's from her first line that says, my soul magnifies the Lord. This wasn't a, a woman begging or looking to have a child. This was a young girl waiting for the right time to be married and to start a family. And, and suddenly she is, she is pushed out. She is thrust out. Now suddenly she has people wondering about her. She has a, a fiancé thinking that she has uh, played the role of an immoral woman. She, she has a responsibility, wondering whether people are going to listen to her or not, believe her or not. She has a responsibility to raise the Son of God. Okay, um, that was a storm. And yet she could magnify the Lord. Look at the second line. Notice the second line of the Magnificat. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Bach, Mozart, the Italian Renaissance composer Palestrina have all written musical scores for the Magnificat. But remember, I mean, this was composed and sung by a young teenage girl. Hundreds of millions of Christians sing this song today in all kinds of various liturgical traditions, marveling at the beauty of the words. But what strikes me beyond the beauty of her words is that God is the hero of her song. She glorifies God and she delights in God at the same time. In other words, she rejoices in God. So if you're wondering, what does it mean to rejoice in God? Go to the Magnificat. In fact, let's do that this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Jesus Christ is the hero, but Mary... What a hero of the faith. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Brothers and sisters, let's rejoice this Christmas in God and in his son, our blessed Savior, Lord, and hero, Jesus Christ. Let me close with the words of John Stott as he reflected on this, on this passage. He writes this to Christians. He says, we should be the most positive people in the world. We cannot mooch around the place with a dropping hangdog expression. We cannot drag our way through life moaning and groaning. We cannot always be looking on the dark side of everything as negative prophets of doom. No, we exult in God. Then every part of our life becomes suffused with glory. Christian worship becomes a joyful expression of God and Christian living a joyful service 
to God. So come, let us exult in God together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may we join in our hearts our dear brother John Stott, who's with you in real glory right now doing that with no encumbrance of sin. We look forward to that day in which our faith becomes sight and we share a future with you in radiant glory beholding the sun. Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts and our minds right now and this week with glorious thoughts of Jesus Christ. May he outshine the most exciting movie or the greatest meal or even the most, the most uh, enticing present in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us the, the faith to see him clearly, who he is and what he has done for us. May we truly exult in you this week. We thank you that you sent our Savior, Jesus Christ, these 2,000 years ago to be born in a humble stable, in a manger, to be laid in a manger, and to grow up as, a, as an itinerant evangelist, having been raised by a, a poor carpenter, to give his life for us on a, on a cruel Roman cross so that we might know you. Help us to never take the incarnation or the atonement for granted. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? Let's rejoice and exalt his name together. Yeah. 